Stop what you're doing and take off your shoe. Now remove your sock. Be sure to place your bare foot back in the shoe to avoid catching the chin. Place the sock over your hand and open and close the gap between your thumb and fingers. Congratulations! In the most primitive sense possible, you've just made a puppet. In no sense, however, can you call yourself a puppeteer. Here's the difference. A puppet can be as primitive a creation as you like, but only a puppeteer can convincingly imbue it with life. Puppets can take many different forms, hand puppets, ventriloquist dummies, plasticine sculptures and marionettes and strings. Puppets can be as small as your finger or as large as an entire stage. They can be as intricate as a machine or as basic as a shadow. Anyone can wave a puppet around, make its mouth flap or its limbs jerk, but only a puppeteer has the necessary skill to make an audience believe momentarily that a puppet is alive. The best in the business are so good at this that the thought of their beloved creations packed up in a suitcase is genuinely upsetting. The idea of a lifeless Kermit draped over a chair, or Sooty hanging from a washing line, is disturbing to even picture and could not be rectified by thrusting a forearm up them yourself. Because the result would not be the desired resurrection of the characters you adore, but a devastating approximation of your earlier sock manipulation rendered somehow even less impressive by the introduction of a more sophisticated puppet. That is why being a successful puppeteer takes far more than getting your hands on, or in, a puppet. You need the skill, the dedication and the imagination to bring that puppet magically to life. Now put your sock back on. Hello, I'm Andy Golding and welcome to a very special episode of Spoiler, in which, in the run-up to our Series 7 premiere episode on Jim Henson's Labyrinth, I'll be talking to puppeteer, actor, producer and director Nigel Plaskett. In a long and varied career, Nigel has helped bring to life childhood favourites like Pipkin's Hartley Hair and Round the Bend's Vince Vermin, changed the face of satirical comedy as one of the principal puppeteers on Spitting Image, and worked on Hollywood hits such as Little Shop of Horrors and The Muppet Christmas Carol, and helped train the next generation of puppeteers through his workshops for stage musical Avenue Q, and his work in setting up and casting international versions of the long-running children's masterpiece Sesame Street. I began by asking Nigel what first attracted him to puppetry as a career. Well, it's more accident than anything, to be absolutely <laughs> honest. Um, I, I didn't start out to become a puppeteer. Um, I started out to be an actor. I wanted to do that. And about a year into my professional life, I'd been working for Bill Kenwright doing tours, one of his first tours. This is quite a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, I got a phone call from somebody that I had known from some years before when I worked at the Little Angel in my school holidays. The Little Angel is a puppet theatre in Islington. Uh, and I got into uh, puppets as a kid. I was playing with puppets, basically, um, you know, doing shows and that sort of thing. Yeah. Part of it, I think, is because um, when I was a kid, uh, I could have full control over the whole cast. It was a kind of megalomaniac. <laughs> it, you know, you could do everything yourself, you know, and I, yeah. think, I think that appealed to me as a kid. Anyway, I worked at the Little Angel, met this person there, and a year into my professional life, she called me up and said she remembered that when I'd been at the Little Angel, 
I'd done some character voices for some characters. And um, would I be interested in doing a TV series? Um, her husband was designing, uh, was the designer on this TV series, and uh, they were looking for some puppeteers. So I said, yeah, of course, I'd talk to them. And this was a series called Pipkins, which yes. was uh, in the, basically ran from 73 to 81, I think. And I went and saw the producer. He said to me, can you do character voices? I said, yes. He didn't even ask me to do one, but <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, he took my word for it. And he offered me the job. And, and he said, oh, by the way, can you play the puppet as well as do the voice? So I said, yes. And that's the kind of accident almost that, uh, that, that created the start for me. There's Pig and Hartley. There's Tortoise and Hartley. There's Topoff and Hartley. Tortoise, Topoff and Hartley Hare. So the, the puppets in, in Pipkins, they were actually the first ones that you worked with professionally then? On the TV, yes. I've yeah. done quite a bit in the theatre. I think I, I did work for a very short time after I left school at The Little Angel, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So um, I moved away from it for probably for about three or four years. So we're now talking about, you know, in my early 20s, I, I started to do Pipkins and struggled with it a bit first yeah. because, it well, again, as I said, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but uh, eventually I began to realise what, uh, what an extraordinary art form it is and that I was good at it, I could do it, and, of course, there weren't that many people doing it in TV, certainly in the 70s, and so I kind of stayed with it a little bit more. had a little blip around the age of 30 uh, where I tried to produce some TV programmes because I thought that was what I wanted to do. Um, uh, but then went back into it in my very early 30s with uh, Spitting Image. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Now, Pipkins was... I mean, I, it, as you say, it, it ended in 1981, which was the year before I was born, and right. I, I don't really remember it being repeated that much. So I came to it as an adult, yeah. uh, but perhaps even more as an adult, it's, it's very clear that it's quite a, a groundbreaking show in its, its educational approach. It is. Um, you know, sort of what inspired... That that unique approach that the series took. Well, essentially, it was it was the the brainchild, if you like, of Michael Jeans and Susan Pleat. Michael was the producer uh, and occasional writer, and Susan was the original writer for the series. She wrote the original series, I think, and she and um, and Michael got together and uh, came up with this idea. Basically, uh, it was something that wasn't being done anywhere. In other words, it was drama for preschool children. Yeah. Uh, usually the preschool children were sort of rainbow type shows where sure. there were happy people in a studio somewhere you didn't know where and um, and then there was people that came in and sang a song and danced around um, but but we tried to create a sort of reality you know there was a I know it was a surreal reality <laughs> but it was it was a kind of reality and and the idea was that it wasn't necessarily teaching you how to read or or count although that was a very soft element in it yeah. um, it was more to do about teaching uh, kids how to live with each other and how to get on with each other how to have relationships all that sort of stuff very early on quite as you say quite groundbreaking yeah. 
and unfortunately, since it was uh, cancelled in '81, I, I, I may be wrong here, but I don't think there's been anything else quite like it. Yeah, I suppose that there's there's been elements of it, but in other shows, but there's no, there's nothing that immediately springs to mind that I. Well, not I for preschool. Not no, for absolutely preschool. not. No, because uh, because you've got um, uh, things like um, in the night garden and all those things. That's kind of basically you know lots of pretty colours and and movement and a bit trippy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, you know, it, there's nothing with the kind of drama element that we had. No, no. I mean, am I right in thinking that that Pipkins was one of the first children's shows to directly tackle death as a subject? Uh, I believe it was yes, because there is a famous show in America where the presenter died, and I can't remember the name of it now. But uh, we were actually about almost almost ten years before that happened, I think. Yeah, uh, George Woodbridge, who was playing Inigo Pitkin, which was the original title of the program. Yeah, uh, he was the main character in it. Uh, George Woodbridge was an, uh, an elderly actor um, who had been, you know, in every British B movie that you've ever seen. <laughs> Certainly, if he were, if it was a horror movie where he was the the innkeeper in um, in Transylvania or somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, George um, sadly died during the mid making of the second series, and we'd recorded it out of sequence. So we had to um, we had to kind of for the moment pretend he was every so often. There was an episode where he wasn't there. Yeah. So um, we he'd, he'd always gone fishing or something like that. Yeah. Sadly. Um, but when the third series started, Michael, the producer, decided that we should. Uh, say what had happened basically um, and uh, difficult to know exactly how it was received except we I do know we got one person who was very upset and said her, her child had had a trauma about it and just lost her grandfather or something yeah. I think it was probably more the parent that was upset rather than the child yeah sure but we did get a lot of letters saying um, thank you for bringing up this subject it actually um, I had an interesting discussion with my five-year-old afterwards, you know. So, yeah. So we did it again about three years later. We did, uh, or a little bit later anyway, we did, uh, we lost a goldfish and we talked about it again then. So, yeah, fairly controversial. Yeah, but but very effective by the sound of it. Yeah, yeah, it did, yeah, yeah. Now, I wanted to talk to you specifically uh, about the character of Hartley Hare, who yeah. is, is possibly the puppet that people most associate you with. My name is Hartley Hare, and today I'm going to talk to you about being naughty. Now, we're talking about kind of the, the realism of, of Pipkins, and he, he's a very different-looking puppet from the ones he, that we're used to now, I think. He's, he's, a very, he's got a very kind of earthy, rough-around-the-edges look. He almost looks like a, a real hare, doesn't he? Yeah, well, uh, the, the reason for that was that they, that they didn't want it to look all squeaky clean. Yeah. It was, a, it was a conscious thing to to make him slightly, uh, well, people say manky or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, there was, it was it was a conscious thing to do that. And, you know, uh, we uh, people kind of criticise us as having said almost as if, we, well, we didn't spend any money on it. But, you know, that wasn't the case. It was actually a conscious decision. He was supposed to be uh, something made out of an old jumper because yeah. uh, George Woodbridge had been the puppet maker and he'd made all these characters out of things that he'd recycled so in a way although we didn't make a thing of it it was kind of an early recycling (laughs) program as well (laughs) so um that was the idea of it and that's why occasionally sometimes at the time because we didn't have the well i certainly didn't have the background and knowledge that i have now the puppets weren't well looked after i will concede to that and they (laughs) did begin to fall apart 
and you know that wasn't my kind of area so yeah. I wasn't a maker so uh, and he didn't seem Michael didn't seem to be too bothered about it so every so often they would get repaired and replaced but Hartley was only replaced three times I think over the whole 10 years yeah so. well, I think it, it it's very I've always thought it's very effective because I think it makes that that juxtaposition of the way he looks and his is sort of histrionic yeah. personality it makes yeah. that that all, all the funnier yeah. uh, what was it that inspired that that personality that you gave him well it was kind of written yeah it was it was a uh, um i have a copy somewhere of the uh, the original character descriptions and it was actually kind of written that he was the sort of um i can't remember exactly how it was described now but histrionic is a, quite a good word <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was the kind of slightly he was the one that would always go in there make all the mistakes be sorry at the end of it and then everyone would forgive him <laughs> yeah and it was it was all that was the kind of premise you know and he in other words he was the one that was always putting his foot in it you know all, all of that sort of thing yeah and the voice i don't know where that came from i have no idea you can hear it's nothing like my real voice <laughs> yeah absolutely um, yeah <laughs> so uh i don't know i don't know it just seemed to me to be right oh the other thing was um that i i was playing I was playing several characters, actually, but I played two regular characters, which was Hartley and Tortoise. Yeah. And I wanted to make the two voices very, very uh, different. Yeah, of course. So the Tortoise was a deep voice. He <laughs> spoke like that. <laughs> and Hartley was a very high voice. He spoke like that. And you wouldn't believe it was coming from the same person. No, uh, sitting here and right now, I can't believe uh, it feels like I've got three people on the line. Well, there you go. And then my own, my own voice was the narration of the programme. You know, so... Yeah. Um, now, do, do you feel, because certainly uh, watching Pipkins and, and other work that you've done, I feel that as an adult viewer and as a child viewer, I can, I can build up relationships with puppets on screen as strongly as, as with any of the human characters. As, as a puppeteer, do you, do you ever feel you actually build up a bit of a relationship with certain puppets that you are controlling? I think that way madness lies. <laughs> um, I can ne- yeah, of course, you, you, you're fond of characters. I mean, I, yeah. I, uh, I played that character for 10 years. You know, it was a great opportunity for me right at the beginning of my career doing this stuff uh, for me, A, to learn the technique, you know, and that was, you know, there's, there's one episode that exists in the very early days where I can see, you know, that my uh, performance technique in front of a camera um, is sadly lacking because I'd had no experience at yeah. all. I was thrown in at the deep end. <laughs> And yet, when you look at it later on, you can see, you know, that I'd learned so much over those, those ten years. Now, one series that I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you about is uh, Spit an Image. Now, we said groundbreaking once about about pipkins which it was but this this still feels like a, a truly groundbreaking show and it's um it can be easy for people nowadays who are more used to the sort of cutting satirical series that are kind of taken from that to to not realize just quite how exciting and dangerous it seemed at the time uh, was it as unusual and exhilarating a show to work on as it was to watch yes i have to say in the <laughs> early days certainly in the first three years I was doing it, certainly yeah. it was, because um, we had a terrific producer who is John Lloyd, um, who was willing to take chances and risks. You, you say that um, the, 
don't think it's really gets anywhere near what we were doing no. really, in many ways because so many people are willing to take court action these days. <laughs> uh, I think I think everyone's a bit more cautious now. Uh, we definitely took chances. We definitely sailed close to the mark several times because I was told that by John. So, um, and uh, we definitely got away with things that uh, you know. I, I sometimes I think that the producers would like to have been um, taken to court, but um, <laughs> we never were. <laughs> We've had some threats, but um, yeah, I was going to say certainly a, a lot of a lot of people who were portrayed on there were were fans of it, weren't they? And some people were quite flattered by the. Uh, yeah. I think initially it was difficult. They were shocked by it all. But yeah. eventually, if you weren't on it and you were a politician, <laughs> you, you were somehow missing something. So <laughs> I think they really wanted to be on it eventually. Yeah, it sort of became a way of knowing that you'd, you'd made it to the big time, I suppose. Uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Jasmine says, I have now read the recommendations from your various departments and have had a chance to consider your detailed proposals. Oh dear. Based on the suggestions of the working policy committees, I have weighed up the options open to us for the next term and I can announce exactly what we are going to do for the next five years. Whatever we like! (laughs) Did you find it a significantly different experience working on a children's show and then on an adult show. Oh, yeah, it was totally different. Yeah. I mean, the budget was different for one thing. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a big difference. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it was it was intense, you know, because we we made a half-hour show every week, but we shot about an hour. This is in the early days. We shot about an hour of material. Wow. Because, you know, John's, one of John's principles was overshoot so that you you can choose the best. Yeah. And so we were shooting a hell of a lot of material, and it was it was it was intense and and very um, quite exhausting actually. We shot it over three days each episode, and um, the number of sets that went through the studio in that time was enormous. And they were huge sets usually. I mean, yeah. they were life size sets. So um, yeah, it was it wasn't easy to shoot, but it was very exciting to be to be in the pub on a Monday night and hear people talking about what you'd been doing the day before. <laughs> I, I found that really great. Yeah, yeah, well, it used to be the PE queue for us, standing waiting to do PE. We used to go and the the night before. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, when you were, you were doing Pipkins, you were, you were voicing the puppets you were controlling, but on Spit and Image, they were, actually, they were impressionists doing That's the voices, right. weren't they? How does, yeah. how does it work when you're controlling the puppet but someone else is voicing it? Um, because, uh, you know, you want to give the complete performance, but it's a different skill, really. And um, with Spitting Image, the voices were done in advance. So we used to say that we did, uh, we performed in spite of the the track. Yeah. Uh, Because um, very often it would go on relentlessly, and if you thought of a bit of business to do, you know, you couldn't, it it was very difficult to get them to... um, to make allowance for that so yeah. you had to kind of we were layering it all the time we got very good at it in the end um, of, um, of doing stuff in the background occasionally John would come to us and say this sketch isn't working uh, do something in the background that will be funny yeah. and so and so we would uh, we would do that um, and that would be a kind of layering that we did and you can probably see that in some of the sketches yeah absolutely now was there, was there an element of uh, sort of a, being an impressionist yourself did you have to study the famous people whose puppets you were you were controlling to uh, 
to get yeah, well, sort of the movements down and things. We did start out doing that because um, obviously we, we were very intense and in trying to pick up the little things that, that, that they did. But we began to notice, as particularly as Margaret Thatcher got stronger and stronger, that the politicians were becoming blander and blander, <laughs> that's the word. Um, and so that we were finding it very difficult to find things that they were doing. So we began to create things for ourselves. They, be, they, we, they began to take a life on of their own. And we played the same characters most of the time. Yeah. We tried to stick to the same characters so that, um, y- you know, we could follow that through. And I think quite successfully. So some of the traits that we gave those uh, politicians weren't necessarily theirs, but <laughs> something that we thought that they might have done yeah. they, as a caricature. It's, it's the same as caricature, you know. Yeah. I saw, funny enough, I saw Roger Law being interviewed yesterday online somewhere, and he said, we don't create who they are, we create what you what we want you to see them to be. Yeah. If that's understandable. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we had our own... Uh, you know, he would do that with the caricatures, and we would do that with the performance. Ah, oh, Larry. Dear, dear Larry. Ah, Johnny. Dear, dear, dear Johnny. What he? Ah, see. Dear tea. Dear, dear tea. Now, we, did, we touched briefly there on uh, on Jim Henson, and obviously as a, as a fan of, of puppets, uh, Jim Henson's one of my personal heroes, and the first name that comes into a lot of people's heads when you mention puppetry. Yeah. Uh, and you've, you've worked on several projects connected with Jim, haven't you? Uh, yeah. Including the, the Brilliant Labyrinth, which is a film that I've loved ever since I was a, a child. Uh, what, what puppets did you work with in, in Labyrinth? Well, in Labyrinth, it was kind of my first introduction properly to the Henson Company. Yeah. I did about two sequences in it. I did the, um, the Dance the Magic Dance, which was uh. the well, one where he throws the baby in the air. <laughs> yeah. And I also did the end sequence where there's a battle in the, um, in the village. Uh, there were other bits and pieces which I can't quite remember, but, um, but uh, those were the kind of two main things I did. Yeah. It took us about a week to shoot the dance, magic dance sequence. And I was doing background characters. I could point them out to you in the, in, on the screen if you, and, and if, you see the, um, if you see the making of, you can see me looking through a hole in the set, <laughs> talking to, I think it was Brian, or, Brian Henson or something, I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, I could tell you where I was on the, on the screen. And yeah, that... That touches on something that I was I was actually going to ask you because uh, obviously you often you when you're working puppets you you're not always at the forefront of the action you're often in the background can you always pick out your own work no matter where you were well it depends um, there are certain things like I could tell you as I said I know I remember that one I don't know why I remember it but I remember it very clearly which one I was doing um, I couldn't tell you in the battle scenes what what I was doing there um, yeah because that was much more there were much wider shots and much bigger things uh when it comes to muppet christmas carol which i also worked on yeah uh, i could tell you certain things that i did you know i can point them out yeah but i remember doing a huge amount of work in the scrooge's office with the rats clearing up um, (laughs) and specifically i couldn't tell you what i did but i know i was involved in that but if you saw the if you saw the footage now do you think you could you could recognize that it was you no (laughs) I can't remember. There were all sorts of things like, like one rat jumping down on a ruler and then the other one bouncing off. <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that. I can't remember exactly what I was doing. Yeah. But I do remember, you know, and this is weird why something stick in your head, there's a scene where the penguins are skating outside and there's a penguin looking through the railings, which I know I was doing. 
Um, I do remember walking up and down behind Michael Caine singing um, Here Goes Mr. Something. Homework, yeah. <laughs> I remember doing all that. Uh, I couldn't tell you which puppet I was operating, though. Um, things like that. So you can remember. Uh, in Treasure Island, I had to do a stunt shot with Black Dog, uh, who, whose head came through the ceiling, uh, the, the roof of the uh, inn as it was burning down. Oh, yeah. Uh, the reason I remember it quite clearly is because I had explosives either side of me. <laughs> Well, speaking of like kind of whether you can recognise your own style and things like that, it's always struck me watching Jim Henson productions that there there seems to be an element of there being a kind of house style. So a lot of the the puppets seem to move in a kind of consistent way, and they they have their different personalities and everything, but they're similar little gestures and and ticks that uh, that create sort of a consistency. Were you kind of directed to perform in a, a certain? within a certain established set of parameters or was it quite creatively open when you were working with Jim Henson? No, I think there's, there's definitely what you call a Muppet style. Yeah. And, uh, and it suits the puppets very well and I gradually learned that over a period of time. I, did a, I ran some workshops for Henson's eventually um, because I got into the style of, of playing these characters. Yeah. And eventually did lots of... Uh, I uh, did 250 programmes for them called Muppet Top Shot, which was a yes. uh, TV series for preschoolers again. Um, and all of those were various Muppet characters as guests. And also, I've worked for Sesame Street um, for a number of years doing training sessions for um, and casting sessions for uh, international versions of Sesame Street, setting that up because of my experience working with the Muppets. So although I'd never actually played Sesame Street, I knew the style of performing it and was able to go and uh, set up these various local versions of, of the show. Yeah, well, Sesame Street was something I was definitely going to touch on because I think uh, it's not only the greatest children's TV show of all time, I think it's the greatest TV show of all time. And people often laugh at me for thinking that, but I, I think there's a, the incredible amount of work that goes into engaging with the audience and being attentive to the audience's needs is just phenomenal and uh, see the fact that there's uh, international versions seems to epitomize that that for yeah. me i mean what what does that process entail setting up those those uh, international versions of the show well first of all i would agree with you your latter statements of course i wouldn't agree with your earlier ones about <laughs> it being the best show of all time <laughs> um but uh, i do uh, and 
some time training them up to do uh, to perform the show. Мне дали жизнь, кексов мне очень хорошо. Жизнь на тарелке, как мне повезло. Жизнь бесконечно счастлив, я опять нет, никто не сможет их забрать. Эй, коржик! I mean, I think most people don't don't realize how much how much work goes into it, and that's oh, the, that's really. I mean, two of the shows that I was I worked on um, were absolute marathons to do for the production team. Um, the the Russian one took about three years to um, make happen because of all the you know the things that you might suspect. To, uh, this is now 15 years ago. Yeah. Working in Russia at the time was was not easy. Yeah. And I know the producer Natasha Lance Rogoff was um, on the show for about three years before we actually got there to just to start making it. So. Uh, and the one that was in Israel and Palestine, which you can imagine had um, a huge, <laughs> huge problem yeah. to overcome uh, because it was trying to bring the two sides together. And that was like working in a war zone. So Yeah, so there's, there's, a, real, there's a real ambition like beyond just, just educating children there, isn't there? That... Definitely. In that one, it was, it was, uh, there were social implications, you yeah. know, which may only be being seen now. I don't know. I mean, the idea was that the... That uh, that we would they would integrate the show. The show had been running in Israel for some time, probably about twenty years, I think. And um, and they wanted to have a Palestinian segment to it, and that it would be integrated into the show. Right. And so that was my task was to go and set up the Palestinian side of it. Now, sometimes you've uh, you've had the opportunity to work with a a real sort of iconic puppet like you've you've uh, controlled animal a couple of times haven't you in the the reno advert for instance and the, on yeah. the x factor yeah. uh, is it is it intimidating to be entrusted with bringing to life such a renowned beloved character well funny enough not in those circumstances because in a way i was kind of playing it all i tell you when it does become intimidating in a way is when you're doing the movies that i've done yeah uh, and you're doubling for somebody, for example, and you, you, you speak of animal. Yeah. Um, at the moment, it's being played by the same guy that does Miss Piggy. And um, he also does Fozzie Bear. So Eric would be there on the set, and I had his character, uh, and I'm in the background somewhere, or, or maybe quite featured in frame. And uh, and I've got to make it look like his performance. Yeah. Uh, even though I might not be saying anything, or I've got to make sure that he's looking in the right place. And it, 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 that's intimidating. That is difficult to do. You know, when you're actually with the guy that whose whose character it is and who has spent years working on it. Eric yeah, Beckett, sure. Has been doing it now for ever since Frank Oz stopped. So yeah, that's difficult. So when you're in fu- when you're in full control of it, and you feel less pressure. It feels easier. I still have to think about what he would do. Yeah. You know? uh, but it doesn't feel so pressured as having him sitting there on the set looking <laughs> at me and saying, no, you c- <laughs> he's not looking in the right place. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. No, no, he doesn't. He's not like that. I mean, Eric isn't like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, th- th- that's always at the back of your mind when yeah, you're sure. doing somebody else's character. Now, you, you also worked uh, with, uh, we mentioned Frank Oz briefly there, and you worked on his Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Um, were was- you working with... The Audrey 2, then, though, which, for people who haven't seen the film, is the giant alien plant puppet. <laughs> I was, yeah. Um, it was another situation. The same thing happened, if, funnily enough, as, as in Labyrinth. Uh, Anthony, who was, uh, you know, we were doing Spitting Image at the time, and Anthony had played the plant in London and was desperate to work on the movie. So I had to say, OK, well, I'll stay with Spit and do and 
know, be the, the, the strength there yeah. while you go off and do the movie. But I was, I really wanted to work on it too because I love the show. I just love that show. It's fantastic, yeah. It is a fantastic show. So I finally got to do a little bit um, on uh, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. <laughs> I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and I'm I was doing one of the little pods um, who um, <laughs> sing uh, Mean and Green and uh, various other things. Uh, the first day I went in, though, the whole thing broke down, so we all went home again. So oh, that right. Was, <laughs> that was a bit of a short day, but, but uh, the rest of the time, we shot it all in, because it's a huge thing, you know, this, this plant was absolutely huge, and it filled the room, um, so we shot it in half speed. have to look out for that it's any, <laughs> any excuse to watch that film again really, isn't it? But, um, uh, but it was great it was great to be involved it was great to do it and you know um and, and it's huge there was 40 people on that plant i think at yeah. one time you know and we, so we you were you like working in close collaboration with them at, like simultaneously on the same puppet then uh yeah i was on, standing on the side of the set with a, a pair of what looked like huge scissors um and <laughs> Now we've heard, we've talked about quite a lot of uh, famous and iconic shows and films that you worked on, but there's uh, you've worked on a lot of, of smaller shows that uh, that I often find not not as many people remember. But one of one of my favourite shows as a kid, and which I still think was brilliant, was Round the Bend, oh, yeah. uh, where you played Vince Vermin, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, right, let's see what I've got for me birthday. Then what's this? He did cockroach. Oh, marvellous. Well, it's a very good dead cockroach. It's got all its legs. You could have it um, stuffed and mounted. Stuffed and mounted. Yes, it would look quite good on the shelf over there. Maybe next to a stuffed and mounted gag-writing rodent called Vincent. Now, that was a really exciting show because I think that, that kind of... If you look at kids' TV now, it's, uh, there's sort of toilet humour all over the place, but it wasn't like that back when this came out. And I, I feel like it, it's very... Uh, it's, it feels dumbed down now, whereas the, Round the Bend had a sort of almost, not to sort of overstate it too much, but it had an almost sort of Chaucerian wit to the vulgarity as well. Um, yeah. Did you, do you have fond memories of working on that show? Or? Absolutely, yeah, it was great to do. <laughs> uh, of course, it was done, created by the Spitting Image team, yeah. so, um, so it, it was inevitably going to be well thought through. Yeah. And, and the guys that wrote it, they were great. They 
were comic writers, I think. They'd been, I think they may have been working on Viz or something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, it was kind of groundbreaking, really, there, because there'd been nothing like it. And we got three series, and we did three series. It's a shame it didn't go on, but um, it was good fun to work on. <laughs> and it had a bit of a budget for a children's show. Yeah. It was quite unusual. It was quite, quite a, an extensive set and lots of animation in it as well you know which uh, was great the animated sequences yeah um it's a shame really that it's not more available or more known yes you're right yeah that's what it's something that i've always been waiting for for it to to come out on dvd and, and be widely available because i think yeah. it's something that that kids would still really respond to yeah we'll talk to um talk to network dvd yeah yeah i'll send him an email after this (laughs) (laughs) now we're talking a a little bit about you uh working with setting up on sesame street and you've uh you've also uh worked quite extensively with its kind of stage adult equivalent avenue q haven't you training puppeteers yes i have and that came out of my jobs with sesame street Ah, that was a direct progression from it was yeah absolutely because at some point during the course of the years I was working for Sesame Street, I got a call from them saying um, that Peter Lintz, who was one of the Muppet puppeteers uh, and works on Sesame Street, uh, used to look after the show in Germany. Uh, and for some reason, they had to replace a character now, uh, like at that, that particular time. Yeah. Uh, and he um, was making Sesame Street at the time, so he couldn't go over to Germany. So would I step in for him? Uh, and in the course of it, I'd never met Peter, uh, but we had a conversation on the phone, uh, you know, about what he wanted me to do, and you know what, you know, so I was uh, standing in for him, and that was it. N- you know, never met Peter, didn't meet him after that for a while. Yeah. Anyway, it turns out that he was working on the Broadway show, and when Cameron Mackintosh decided to bring it to London, they said to Peter, um, "Is there anyone you can recommend?" Well, I was the only person he knew in London, really certainly the only person he knew that had kind of training capabilities because yeah. I'd been doing this stuff for Sesame Street so I was ideal really in that way because I all that experience plus the fact I was here um, and so it wasn't a given that I got the job but I had to do the interview and you know but I got on really well with the director and the, the uh, assistant director so uh, I got the job thankfully because I've now been working on it for oh gosh what is it now in 12 years something like that. between me and you I think Everyone's a little bit racist sometimes. Doesn't mean we go around committing hate crimes. So presumably it's a process you enjoy then, is it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Thank God it's not a tragedy. (laughs) uh, Because I've seen it about 250 times. (laughs) I had to watch it once every three weeks um, when it was in the West End just to kind of keep an eye on the puppeteers and how they were doing and, you know, give them notes about any things that were drifting. Yeah. Maybe we could live in harmony. Everyone's a little bit lacist. Right, I wanted to, uh, to touch briefly on uh, some of the uh, commercial work you've done and you've You've worked on on several quite well known adverts like the Dolmio family and the PG Tips monkey. Yeah. Uh, do, do you feel that that's a, a very different process from from working on a series, just doing adverts? Yes, it is an absolutely different process, and you know, at different times, you know, I've done ads on different scales. I mean, when we started out doing the PG commercials, it was like making a small movie because uh, they threw a lot of money at it to to uh, make it look good. Yeah. Um, 
several commercials that we did in the early days for PG were just extraordinary and very exciting to be part of. Yeah. And to have a chance to develop a character over a number of uh, years, you know, is, is great too. And this also kind of came out of, uh, I talk about Monkey particularly because it's a character I've had a chance to, to work with yeah. for a long time. But that came out of Spitting Image, me doing Spitting Image in a way, because they, when they started it, they wanted somebody who could work with Ben Miller doing the voice. Yeah. And um, they had wanted to work with him, uh, and they wanted to use the puppet. And uh, because of my experience uh, doing Spitting Image, which was uh, to somebody else's voice, uh, they asked me to do the monkey. This is Henson's, because Monkey was originally designed by Henson. Uh, right. Um, and um, they knew about my uh, uh, experience doing that. So I was able to start working with Ben on that. And now we've been working together with it since 2002. So it's quite a long relationship. Monkey, you know we're always banging on about the delicious taste of PG. Well, the mortgage won't pay itself. I now know Ben's patterns very well when he's playing this character. So we can... You know, pretty early on, actually, we could start doing um, live stuff where he would, or I wouldn't know what he was going to say. Yeah. But I could actually follow him. And do you do you feel, because uh, I've spoken to uh, several animators who, who did commercial work and they they felt not as attached to to the commercial work as they did their own films. But from a, from a point of view of a puppeteer, do you, do you feel as much pride in your commercial work as anything else? Well, some of it, yes, I think so, because, because you know, the production values are often very high. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, you think, oh, well, okay, that's just another few hundred pounds in the bank. But, <laughs> uh, but often, you know, no, I, do, I think of most of the stuff that I've done, because a lot of the commercials I did in the early days were uh, through Spitting Image. Spitting Image used to get commissioned to do commercials. Yeah. And uh, the production values would always be high. They'd spend a lot of money on it, and, you know, it was never, never, ever cheap. So it was like making small movies. Yeah. And, again, sometimes the performances, you know, that you, you gave um, was quite extraordinary. So And you were allowed to do it because we had the time and the budget to do it. So, yeah, I am proud of what I did most of the, most of the commercial stuff, but particularly Monkey, I think, you know. And, of course, working with Johnny Vegas was great as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think Monkey has he has passed into the the culture now as much as as any other puppet character, hasn't he? People love it. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was the reason that he started doing the PG ads because eventually, originally he was designed to do uh, the ads for ITV Digital, but the company went bust after eighteen months, uh. and so Monkey went into limbo. <laughs> He's actually owned by Comic Relief, um, oh. the charity, and uh, Unilever, who own PG Tips, um, make a donation every year for his use. Oh wow! Right. Um, we t- we talked a, 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 a second ago as well about how the spit and image puppets were used in adverts and stuff. It's, it's just occurred to me that uh, they also turned up in a few music videos, didn't they? And were you were you a part of any of the music videos they appeared in? Yeah, so the first thing I did for them, funny enough, was a, a music video for the monkeys um, guy Pete. Pete to talk. Pete to talk. Yeah. Pete to talk. He had a um, uh, a show in America. And um, it was Earth Angel. We did the, the, the video for Earth Angel oh. for his American show, and it was directed by Mickey Dolenz, who was one of the monkeys. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was the first thing I did for them. And then after that, we did Land of Confusion. 
confusion yes. for Genesis. Yes. Which um, was pretty extraordinary. That was about, I think we must have shot on that for about a week. And was that so, a completely different experience, actually, having to lip sync to the, the song? Yes, yeah. Quite easy, really, because, you know, when it, something is rhythmic like that, and a lot of it was just images anyway, it wasn't necessarily us lip syncing. Yeah. And then, the, obviously, your spin image that had it had their own number one single as well, didn't they? It's the time of year, now that spring is in the air, when those two wet gits with their girly curls. We did, yes. We were on top of the pops for three weeks running. <laughs> oh, so you, you did top of the pops? I did, yeah. Oh, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I never expected to be doing that in my 30s, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I never expected to be doing it at all. No. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it was great fun. That was really good fun to do. Um, and uh, just just briefly, while we're on adverts, you also uh, you starred in the, the famous Vicks adverts as Malcolm, didn't you? Oh, Bob, I can't take my exams blocked up like this. Of course you can, Malcolm. Use this. Big Silex Diesel Spray. Oh, Bob. Malcolm? Do you, do you feel more confident in front of a camera with or without a puppet? So the relative anonymity that you get from puppeteering is yeah. uh, is something yeah. that you quite. Do you still and get recognised though from uh, those well, old adverts? Hardly and, ever. Hardly yeah. ever. Uh, people certainly remember it if if I if I say if I say you know that I did it, but I don't I don't go around telling people that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but people find out. Yeah, and people do know it still. And funny enough, they still remember lines from it. You know, they remember lines from the commercials. Yeah. Um, and and it's not on YouTube as far as I know. So. Uh, they have to remember it from when it was going out in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> it still turns up on these greatest advert lists and uh, things, yeah. doesn't it? And yeah. Well, it's extraordinary. It was an extraordinary uh, experience, you know. Um, but the first thing I'd done in front of the camera, too. Um, yeah. The very first one I did, which was a successful one, uh, and, and um, Vix wanted to keep showing it through the whole 10 years it ran. Wow. Um, and... Uh, but but there's a little story behind that. The director wanted to wanted to make it funny. He wanted me to say bum instead of mum and things like that. You know, he wanted to really really go over the top. And yeah. Said, this is, you know, this is too serious. This ad, he said. So um, anyway, halfway through the morning, there was a 
two people and the director, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm not doing this properly. I'm going to be fired. <laughs> anyway, it turned out that they, 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 didn't, they thought he was making a joke of it, and, uh, oh. and it's a serious thing because it's a medical ad. And, yeah. You know, uh, anyway, the, he persuaded them to let, them, let him shoot it two ways, and so we did everything twice. One uh, with a more serious vein, and then one going over the top, oh. and he cut the two together. Unfortunately, he persuaded them to use the comedy one because, <laughs> uh, because it just ran forever. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it sold the product, which what I discovered afterwards. It did actually increase their sales, oh, which yeah. is what it's all about. Yeah. Now, I think we should, we should finish up here by talking about the very exciting news that you're currently working on another puppet series with several members of the Pipkins team, uh, yeah. Monty and Co., yeah, well, actually, we just finished shooting it um, oh. over the December and January. Wow. Uh, we've shot 34 programmes, and it's uh, you're the first person I've talked to about it. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it's, um, I mean, we did initially look at the possibility of, of reviving Pipkins, but the rights proved to be too difficult. We talked yeah. to ITV about it, and they weren't sure if they had the rights. So we decided we would set off on a new venture and, yeah. and create new characters and new situation and so forth naturally we want to use our uh, experiences and our, our knowledge from Pipkins so again, once again it is uh, drama for preschoolers which is um, fantastic which is unusual and uh, as I said I don't think it's been done since we've, we were doing it all those years ago no it's incredible actually you'd think that would have influenced more considering the success wouldn't you but mm. people are very adventurous when no. it comes to young children I think and uh, so we've tried to do that again. We've uh, we've built on the strengths, you know, looking for things that we felt were weaknesses in the original program, and um, and so we've been able to create new characters which um, which are stronger. Uh, certainly, the female character um, we have created a new female character Great. who is much more feisty and much more um, out there, if you like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, now we're in post production for it. Uh, it'll be ready. Uh, to go somewhere we're not quite sure where it's going to end up but uh, it will be ready sometime in the middle of the year we reckon fantastic so, so the original idea was for it to be an internet show wasn't it it was we, we yes we did think about that and we still have you know uh, possibilities of doing that ultimately but we probably think we're going to try and find a broadcaster initially and take it from there but that's that's kind of the next phase that we're working on right now great so what's so, what's the the premise of the show then Funny enough, it's some animal characters living in a shop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Basically, it's a kind of recycling shop, although recycling is fairly um, light on in in the um, premise of the thing. But it's really more to do with the relationships of the characters once again. That's what we feel we can do in a really good way. And relationships and how to live together and how to be, you know, how to deal with life. Yeah. Well, I've seen that. I've seen the images of the puppets, and they have like that that classic style to them, don't they? That I think will appear to children, but their parents. Not, will... Yeah, they're better. They're better than the Pipkins puppets in terms of uh, the quality of them. Uh, Paul Germain, who's made them, has done a wonderful job on uh, creating these characters. Um, he created he created the PG Tips monkey, uh, yeah. and a lot of the um, Avenue Q puppets that we that we've been using in the UK. So. And are so, you yeah. you taking a, a quite an active role? Are you uh, are you voicing the character any of the characters? Yeah, I am. I'm doing uh, the main character Monty, who, who has a voice very similar to Hartley's, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
uh, you know, that's my voice. Like, you know, it, it's a character I do. So, and I and play about two or three others in it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's got a real life to it. And, yeah. Um, we put it together ourselves. We work with a very small team um, shooting it, and um, we now, as I said, we're in post production. So it's hopefully by the middle of the year we'll see something. And is it something that you you slip back into quite easily? Did you enjoy the experience of it? I did. I did, particularly as I was working with a lot of people that I've worked with over the years, and this was the kind of culmination where we, where we put everybody together, including the camera crew and you know the sound crew, everybody that has worked on it. I've worked with before. Yeah. They all came to it. They're all involved in the production. I was the producer as well, which was probably a role that I, I, I least did during the production of it <laughs> because you know I had so much on my mind. But um, just trying to get the performances in, but. All of that. I mean, it was a relatively small team. Two of the writers from Pipkins were on it. On it. Uh, one of the, my fellow performers, um, Heather Tobias, she was uh, involved in the performance of uh, two of the characters, so as she did in the original Pipkins. So, yeah. Look, just looking at the team that are behind it, it's it's really exciting. I love the fact that uh, even your lawyer has written episodes of Chuckle Vision. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the only. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He yeah. and uh, and we'll write pro- we'll write episodes for us too. My sincerest and warmest thanks to Nigel Plaskett for his fascinating insight into his prestigious career. You can find out more about Nigel and his work at his website nigelplaskett.com and about his new series Monty and Co at montyandco.co.uk. <laughs> You've been listening to Spoiler with me, Andy Golding. You can find out more about Spoiler and listen to our past shows at spoilerpodcast.co.uk or find us on Facebook, Twitter, Acast and iTunes. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hoare and is recorded at the studios of Siren FM in the heart of the beautiful cathedral city of Lincoln. It's a glove puppet. Mm. You know, you can be naughty with a glove puppet. <laughs>